abrogation of freedom in American history, I thought it'd be good to talk about the founding. So this is the Ben Shapiro reading list. The book is written out of history. Written by Mike Lee, published 2017. Mike Lee was, or is, might still be, the Utah senator, elected 2010. So as I said, I mean, under the myriad orders and provisions right now, and obviously to some degree completely understandable, trying to get a handle on something that's a lot bigger than all of us. It's still important to remember how hard we had to fight to get where we were and where we hope to be in a few months here. This book is about the people who had a significant role in the formation of our republic, but who have been forgotten. The thesis of the author is that they were forgotten because they advocated small government. They wanted to limit government as much as possible, national government. So, as everybody is aware, it was the Federalists and Anti-Federalists at the founding who were fighting against each other, and the winners were really the champions of big government. Now, obviously, this is on a relative scale when it comes to big government. There are extremes to either side, but the winners generally were the ones who weren't happy with the Articles of Confederation, which had a pretty toothless federal government, and so replaced it with our current constitution, which I generally hold as sacrosanct, but there are some good points made in this book. The first person he talks about is Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr was a major rival of Thomas Jefferson and was Jefferson's vice president and led Jefferson to seek extreme executive overreach. And this was actually a major turning point, could have been the beginning of the end of the Republic, (laughs) in my estimation, because Jefferson really was pushing it when it came to... He was the executive, he was the president, and he was pushing it based on this rivalry with Burr. But it was the election of 1800, it was extremely ugly, it was a very early election, obviously. There was the Burr and Hamilton duel, where Burr killed Hamilton. It was as the result of an insult at a party, which is hilarious to me, because you think... When you listen to rap music, I grew up on rap music, I love it to death, and that's one of the things, because it's all about, oh, you insulted me, let's get into a fight, or I'm gonna take you down, I'm gonna take you out, whatever. But this actually happened in history at the highest levels of our government. That's crazy talk. The Hamilton death was a public outcry, but the bigger, I know, what's bigger than the uh, duel that killed Hamilton, but even bigger than that was this issue related to Jefferson, who was doing all sorts of crazy stuff. So he targeted judges that weren't amenable to him, and he was trying to get rid of them and have them impeached. But Burr presided over the impeachment of one of these judges, and he respected the rule of law over whatever Jefferson wanted. Wanted. And it made a permanent enemy of Jefferson, but it was the establishment early on that the rule of law was more important than whatever the executive wanted. And like I said, this could have been a huge turning point in our republic if somebody didn't stand up for this. And then it got even worse because soon after that, Jefferson decided that he was going to target Burr. And there was this fake letter created in concert with General Wilkinson that Burr was planning on committing treason and using using a military insurrection against the United States government. And so Burr was put on trial for the treason and a major justice in our history, Marshall. He was the one who presided over the trial and the defense demanded that the letter be produced, (laughs) the incriminating letter be produced so they could analyze it and cross-examine it. And Marshall decided to issue the subpoena. He didn't have to do that, but he decided to do it. And it was here in Burr respecting the rule of law and Marshall respecting the rule of law over the executive that really established what our republic was going to be. 
So General Wilkinson was called as a witness. He didn't stand up great to cross-examination. No evidence was produced that Burr planned military action, and he was eventually acquitted. So big deal in our republic. Other people, we've got Luther Martin, who was a notorious drunk from Maryland. He didn't want a strong federal government. He eventually realized that the Articles of Confederation were not being altered, they were being replaced, and that bothered him. He said that you, not word for word, but he said something to the effect of, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Once you give it too much power, it's over. You can undercook it, but you can't overcook the government. He was an early denouncer of slavery completely. He said it should be abolished. But others who were trying to write this constitution wanted to keep it for bargaining with southern states and others who wanted to maintain the economy of slavery. He was struck with laryngitis during the ratification argument and wasn't able to participate to the extent that he wanted to and Maryland eventually ratified the constitution. He served 30 years, which is still the record as the attorney general. And there's one story about him. He was a lawyer and one client said, I will hire you, but only if you promise not to drink. And he said, okay, but then he soaked... He soaked bread in brandy and ate that instead of drinking. Classic. Mercy Otis Warren, she was probably my favorite out of everybody in this book. She was a writer. She believed that people deserved to be protected from their government. She had conflicts with Adams later in this whole fight. She fought for independence. She was a member of an accomplished family. She wrote plays, poetry, and political polemics. And she used a pseudonym, which many used at the time. Publius, of course, was used for the Federalist Papers, from what I recall. She made an argument for the Bill of Rights and against unlawful searches and seizures. She said that was one of the issues that we had to make sure was protected. And she lost the battle because she was against the Constitution and the bigger federal government, but she won the war because it opened this appeal of a Bill of Rights. So when Massachusetts ratified the Constitution, they talked about a Bill of Rights and New York did the same thing. They ratified but said we need a Bill of Rights and three more states followed after that. She wrote the history of the rise, progress, and termination of the American Revolution. Her split with Adams was specifically because of his pro-monarchical attitudes that he was developing and so she split with him on that basis but she had a lot to do in the early republic kanasa tigo he was an iroquois leader he contributed a lot to federalism this one was a little less direct apparently he had a major imprint on benjamin franklin when it comes to the ideas of federalism and having a bunch of strong states who come together there was this analogy used with arrows one arrow you can break a bunch of arrows more difficult to break there was a great law of peace amongst a bunch of tribes And so that was apparently an analog to the federalism that we would use in the United States. Of course, there's something weird about this because ever since the Westphalian idea about sovereign states, there have been peace agreements between states. So I don't know how unique this actually was, but there was the early, uh, there were early agreements with United States territories and the Iroquois against the French. So it was apparently very influential. Albert Gray, he said the Bill of Rights were too vague. And he brought up this language in the Tenth Amendment about all powers not expressly reserved. He wanted to use the word expressly, expressly reserved to the federal government or the state or whatever. But Madison removed the word expressly. Gary also advocated the freedom of assembly and supported the Second Amendment. The book talks about Mumbet, who would become Elizabeth Freeman. She was the first person to successfully file and win a freedom suit in Massachusetts. The court found that slavery was inconsistent with the state constitution. She witnessed physical attacks and abuse in the home and fled and went to a lawyer and they eventually won. It was the first one to 
win on that basis. She felt that slavery didn't square with all the talk of freedom that was going on when it came to the birth of a republic. And it could have been a test case, so it was planned out to make it happen rather than being spontaneous. Ironically, she became a paid housekeeper after this, but it was an important step. It wouldn't be for many years after this that it was completely abolished, but it was an important step for getting rid of slavery in the colonies and in America in general. There was James Otis who famously talked about taxation without representation is tyranny. I think that was the quote. So it became a rallying cry, taxation, no taxation without representation. Very supportive of provisions that prevented unlawful seizures and searches, searches and seizures. He was severely beaten at one point and he deteriorated after that. He was killed by lightning, strangely enough. George Mason. I actually got into George Mason. I didn't know it was so... I didn't know it was a conservative law school. I had no idea. I don't know how I was so oblivious to the politics of various law schools. He was credited with the opening words of the Declaration of Independence. His earliest issues were related to taxation and interference with commerce. He was a major business entity. He believed that government overreach was harming to individuals and individual freedoms and especially religious freedom. He actually penned the Declaration of Rights, which was unanimously adopted by Virginia and copied by Jefferson and the U.S. Bill of Rights and the International Declaration of Human Rights. So his was a direct big deal in <laughs> his, his contribution to our individual freedoms. The nearest to his heart were the free and open commerce, which is, of course, again, this could have been a watershed moment in protection of free and open commerce that led to America being what it was and accomplishing what it did. I hope we don't lose all of that in the coming months. There was a provision of no taxes on imports that narrowly failed. He fought the slave trade, but he was a slave owner, and I don't think that he fought slavery within of the slaves who were already here. But he did fight the slave trade. He wasn't as vociferous anti-slavery as Luther Martin. So once he realized he wasn't going to be able to ban the slave trade and there was the whole commerce clause added, then he was really disenchanted with the process and uh, lessened his participation. In the conclusion, it talks about how you can't navigate the risks of government without acknowledging the facts of human nature. These are all humans who are operating this government and human nature, such as it is, is a dangerous thing. People are self-interested, they have very limited ability to work on objective information, and they work in their own interests. So you have to be really careful about how much power you give to people. He chronicles some government oversteps related to the Obama administration. There were actually quite a few. And there was this really interesting idea that he threw in toward the end, how slavery is the most barbaric taking of freedom there is. And while we not be we might not be threatened with that today, it's interesting to put that in the context context in that context that slavery is just the most barbaric taking of freedom if you want to maximize freedom obviously it's something that's completely inimical with that idea and this particular senator actually passed an act which had the most ridiculous name i've ever heard so i didn't even write it down <laughs> But it was regarding government data collection and whether the government is able to collect your data and use it for whatever purpose. So appreciate that. All right, my analysis. So I don't know enough about the founders, <laughs> actually, I realized. I don't have enough information to work off of to really be able to comment all that much on this stuff. It is invaluable to learn about the fights that birthed the Republic. It shows the structure of, of its founding and how... <laughs> I don't know, haphazard it was and how lucky we are to get what we got. And 
there there was something about the general contributions to individual rights being vague. I mean, George Mason actually wrote the Declaration of Rights. Very important. Mercia Otis Warren wrote these political polemics that were really influ- influential about when it came to like searches and seizures. But a lot of the other people just kind of vaguely contributed to the conversation about individual rights. And I don't know how much he really proved the thesis about it was the fact that they were more small government and anti-big government that was the reason they're forgotten. I, I'm i not, I mean, obviously the victors tend to get more <laughs> treatment in history books just in general, but you know, take it for what you will. It was short and sweet, so that's nice, but it's kind of a limited historical survey as opposed to something deep and thoughtful and involving or anything like that. So anyway, like I said, short, you could probably just look up the Wikipedia entries for all these different people and get a similar effect, but definitely good to bring attention to these people who contributed these things and see how difficult it was to really build a republic like this and ensure that we had individual rights. Those things, don't take those for granted. Just don't take those for granted at all. Those rights are so important. So anyway, this is the last coffee house. I hope everybody's good. I don't know what is going on in the world, but I will see you on the next one. I'm going to keep reading. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.